Hello, you're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we are coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi Justine. Hi Natalie. Today we are not just dear readers, we are queer readers as we swing our attention to the many and varied queer books that we have loved. Joining us is our very special guest and colleague, Lauren. Hi Lauren. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. Are you really truly... Very, very <laughs> You're excited. You're not just saying that. No, not just saying All that. All right, good. Uh, we're excited to have you. <laughs> Before we get started, we want to remind you, our listeners, that we'd love to hear what you've been reading. So please do tweet us at Melb Library. That's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y with the hashtag Dear Reader. And you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And all the books we mentioned will be listed on our show notes on our Goodreads page, which you can find via the website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. All right, let's dive in. Lauren, you're first up. Okay, my first book is Under the Udala Trees by Chinello Ocparanta, um, which was published in 2015. It's about lesbians in Nigeria, essentially. It starts at the beginning of the Nigerian Civil War, and follows Ijeoma, the protagonist, through her separation from her mother, the death of her father, uh, through her first relationships with women, uh, her schooling, and her eventual return to her mother, her marriage and motherhood. Um, And I think it sounds like it could be really emotionally crushing, just based on the lesbians in Nigeria bit. The um, author's notes actually specify that there have recently been laws passed in Nigeria um, prohibiting same-sex relationships with some pretty brutal punishment. Yeah, I think the most powerful thing for me in this book was the way that it really charts the development of Ijeoma's own self-doubt and homophobia uh, in a way that we don't often see. She's caught having sex with her first lover um, when she's separated from her mother during the war. Both girls are subjected to a lot of homophobic sentiment and Bible study. And um, Ijeoma goes from very confident, euphoric, falling in love to full of self-doubt and hurt, leading her to marry in a sense that she's not going to get anything better and it's not going to get better. Um, Is she quite young? She is. She's about 20 when she gets married, I think, or engaged. Um, and has a child not long after that. Right. Um, but it is a very strong sense that she there's only so far she's going to be pushed. Like there's all these people um, pushing her to reject her own homosexuality, and yeah, it's just this build up of anticipation um, because she knows quite deep down. Like a lot of it is her internal monologue. She knows that it's not going to keep going. She's eventually going to stop. And I think that is really powerful. And I really, I don't know if I'd recommend it to as to everyone. I don't know if I would recommend it widely, mm. but I did enjoy it and it is beautifully written. The author has written a lot of short stories previously and been published widely with those. Um, and this is the first novel. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, that was Under the Udala Trees by Chinello Operanta. And you said that it kind of um, matches what's going on in Nigeria currently. Is it set in the present? It goes from 1969 to, without giving spoilers, it go, it's quite a long narrative. It's several yeah. decades. It sounds like it spans her whole life. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, kind of 
So there's some historically accurate representations of law in Nigeria when it comes to same-sex relationships. Yeah, it's mostly discussed through interpersonal relationships um, rather than the broader political context, Mm. Um, just what's happened to people she knows and and to friends of friends. Mm. What's your first pick for today, Justine? Right. So my first pick for today is A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood. So um, this is a book set in 1962, just after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and it describes a day in the life of George Falconer, a 58-year-old expat Englishman who's living in Santa Monica and teaching at a university in LA, which is actually just what um, the author Christopher Isherwood has done as well. Right. Uh, I didn't really know anything about it. Apparently it's a movie as well by Tom Ford, starring Colin Firth and Julianne Moore, two of my favourite actors, so I might actually end up watching the movie. <laughs> Um, you never know. And so I started reading it and it actually started out quite different to what I, ex- oh, I don't know what I expected, but it starts out with this quite sort of distant look uh, as though an alien is looking at a human and, and describing it. It was very strange to me and it's very dispassionate and I sort of, it, it threw me a little bit and then I started getting into it and, and this this voice that we start off with is describing the movements of George as he gets up and out of bed and then as you gradually, he his sort of consciousness seeps in and he becomes George rather than just an it. And I thought, geez, that was interesting because there are some mornings when I get out of bed and I'm on, you know, autopilot and that's sort of what it was relating, which I, I kind of... I kind of appreciated it once I understood what it was doing, what that voice was 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 for. Um, so it was really different, very subtle story. I found it really quite edgy uh, a lot of the times. It is controlled, but it is po- very powerful. And so George has recently lost his partner, Jim, in a car crash when Jim was in a different part of America. And he's really struggling with bereavement. He has an aversion to the word widower. He has actually told people that Jim is just visiting his parents and staying there. He's not told people around him that Jim is dead and it's really quite a strange thing and yet I guess when it comes to grief you can kind of understand he just does not want to let go and he keeps going to places where Jim has been and he keeps trying to make the connection to Jim through places that they've been to together and through his memories and things like that and he um yeah he's really struggling and uh, that comes through very very clearly he goes through the motions of everyday life Uh, he teaches a class he argues with his neighbors he goes to the gym he shops at the supermarket he he drinks with an older woman friend uh, which is some of the funnier bits are, are in that he gets quite drunk. Um, he flirts intellectually with a young student and and then we come to the end. It's really short. It's only about 140 pages but geez there's so much packed in here. It's, um, it's absolutely really interesting read. I went through it very quickly and I actually think I probably ought to go through it a little bit slower. Um, I really liked the pace of it. I liked the sort of internalizing uh, we get mainly his monologue is not a lot um, externally and uh, the, the senses of um, a human being trying to overcome loneliness and that that loss of a partner and the sense of alienation because being an expat you know and a Londoner an Englishman sorry in in America as well as a gay man in a community that's not necessarily sure what to do with that and so very very interesting read and I think that um, yeah anybody really could could learn a lot from this book there's so so much and it's so small it's unbelievable really so that's a single man by christopher isherwood 
The description that you said at the beginning where it's kind of like an alien observing his morning ritual, that's how the movie starts. Well, that, it's the movie's much... obviously based on the book very well. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs> uh, it's definitely... But I'd say the, it's, an, it's a case where the movie's quite true to the book. It sounds like it. I'm yeah. going to have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Natalie, you tell us. What's your first pick? My first pick today is Mislaid by Nell Zink. It was published in 2015, so it's nice and new. And Nell Zink is a a Californian author, and this is her second novel. Uh, The book, Mislaid, is an absolute joy to read. It is absurd, it is funny, and it descends into zaniness. So if you're not into books that take left turns very frequently, this might not be for you. But if you're up for an adventure, this is definitely one. It's set in 1966. I noticed that your books are also set in the 60s Mm. as well. Unplanned, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just the theme. Uh, Peggy is the main character. She's a young lesbian. She goes off to an all-girls college. There she meets Lee, who is a reclusive gay male poet, and they begin an ill-advised affair. As you can imagine, they fall for each other unexpectedly. Peggy gets pregnant and they get married. Uh, They end up having two kids together and they live together for a total of 10 years. So that's that. It keeps going. Eventually... That life gets a little bit too much for Peggy, who really is in the wrong place. She uh, becomes quite unstable, quite unsettled, drives their car into a lake and kind of realises that something is not quite right with the way, the life that she's living. So she uh, runs away in broad daylight in front of her husband. So it's a big secret that she does in public. And she takes their daughter but leaves their son behind. So there's a real gap now in this family. Um... To hide from her husband, Peggy and her daughter squat in an abandoned farmhouse in rural Virginia. Peggy adopts African-American personas for her and her daughter. They are white people, just so that's clear. (laughs) Um, And when you're not expecting anything else, more happens. That's enough plot, really, to give you a sense of just how kind of uh, wonky this book is. Um, Many years later, the two children meet at college and they find each other oddly familiar but they can't quite figure out how they would know each other. Um, It leads to a series of colossal misunderstandings. And uh, the book sounds like a joke, really, doesn't it? Would you imagine it to be a joke? (laughs) It's gone full Shakespeare. I know, right? (laughs) In some ways, it is a complete over-dramatisation, but I think what happens underneath the surface of all of these twists and turns and plot devices is this real kind of beating heart of a person who doesn't fit and trying to find where to fit. Um, it teases out sexual identity, gender, race, like really big issues. And it does it with a great deal of sincerity, despite the kind of, you know, oddness of the of the plot devices. I found it a real thrill to read from beginning to end. I had no idea what was coming. I wasn't necessarily prepared for some of the ways that um, race certainly was tackled in this book. Um but I found myself going along with it just to find out exactly where it would go in terms of, you know, odd plot devices, but also what it had to say about these really big issues. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think Nell Zink is a great writer and I look forward to her next and also going back and reading some of her previous uh, works. It is called Mislaid and the author's name is Nell Zink. I love that title. Mislaid. Yeah. It's, well, it's perfect in so many ways, <laughs> isn't it really? It's so good. Lauren, what's your second pick for today? My second pick is Not Otherwise Specified by Hannah Moskowitz, which is another 2015 book. Um, But this one I have been insisting that everyone around me read. I absolutely loved it. I found it when I was putting together a list of good YA. Um, And it, to start off with, probably the thing that I love the most is that it 
explicitly uses the word bisexual. That happens so rarely in mm. media. Um, Etta is 17 and black and bisexual and lives in Nebraska and is upset about some of these things and not about others. Uh, she It's a lot shorter in narrative than Under the Udala Trees. It's just a few months, uh, not surprising for YA. And she's just been rejected by a group of her friends who are all lesbians and she feels totally betrayed because she has always been out about being bisexual and not a lesbian. But her friends, after she started dating a boy, went, nope, tons of biphobia. Um, so she's very lonely. She's very angry. She's also refusing to let go of that identity. And I love that about her. Mm. Um, she's also dealing with an eating disorder and the not otherwise specified part of the book is that she's too functional to be diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia, as she would like to be in a way, um, to have that, that label and that reassurance that what's happening to her is real. Yeah. So she's got eating disorder not otherwise specified and combined with her sense of not fitting in with her lesbian friends, she's completely out of place. But she is so tough and fierce and tender and loving and she just goes well I'm gonna make new friends I'm gonna get into therapy I'm gonna date another boy and I'm gonna apply for a performing arts high school in New York <laughs> as you do yeah and she just I mean I don't want it to sound simple because she's obviously struggling with a lot of really hard things but I think it's quite clear through the way her friendships are shown that she's doing it out of a sense of not only just for herself, but because she wants to be better to show her friends that people can get better. Yeah. And I really, really love that. And it's just probably the first YA book I've seen that dealt with biphobia, especially biphobia within the lesbian community and eating disorders so sensitively and showed not these things as incredibly lonely things, but as having a place within friendship and within community. Um, and I just adored it and I would love it if everyone would read it. She sounds, sounds like a hero. Yeah, I was going to say, she sounds like a great female protagonist. Yeah, and I don't want it to be, like, yeah, too simple again. Like, she, it's not black and white, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, and that was not otherwise specified by Hannah Moskowitz. Justine, your second pick for today. Okay, so my second pick for today is in a young adult book as well, actually, Lauren. It's Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Alire Sands. Again, I'm take a big sigh here. <laughs> Hopefully, I've got the author's name right. I know, what a great title, isn't oh, I it? I love it's that. It's just book. such a great title. So, um, it's actually set in the 80s, not the 60s for a change. <laughs> um, at age 15, Ari, Aristotle, oh, he's got the best name as well. I've got to tell you, you find out it's actually Angel Aristotle. I'm oh. like, oh, yeah, poor kid. Anyway, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's Ari. Um, so at age 15, Ari is a loner who's never had a true friend before until he meets Dante at the swimming pool. Dante offers to teach Ari how to swim and the boys discover that they make each other laugh, which seems more important than the fact that they've got very little in common with each other, other than that they're both Mexican-American and live in El Paso. Dante loves books and art and has a real open appreciation of his parents. They hug, they kiss, you know, they're really um, very open in, in, their, in their caring for each other, whereas Ari, um, Ari's family are quite different. They're quite standoff 
selfish. They're quite, um, you know, they, they love each other, but they don't show it. And um, and Ari doesn't really know a lot about books or art or anything like that. So um, he, Ari gets to know Dante and his family, which makes him look at his own family differently and inspires him to try and uncover the mystery of his own father who rarely speaks. His dad's a, a Vietnam vet who's returned home and has um, basically never spoken to his son about his experiences. Uh, he has nightmares, as does Ari, for that matter. Um, the book is set over two summers and the intervening school year. There is a semi-tragedy, semi-tragic occurrence. Uh, there's actually a couple of them, but there is one about halfway through that really, gosh, it made me cry. I didn't expect to cry either. And this book just got me in all the feels. It was just, oh, so good. And um, yeah, it's it was really well, um, a well-written piece of semi-tragedy, I guess. And basically Ari, Ari goes through trying to figure himself out. He doesn't really understand himself. He doesn't tell his school friends about Dante and that's a really interesting plot sort of curve as well. I'm, I'm trying not to give anything away. <laughs> um, it's really, really interesting. Uh, he figures out in the end um, the importance of Dante's friendship, which his, he loves his friendship with Dante. It, it keeps him going, but it also bothers him tremendously and he, he doesn't seem to figure out why. I really liked how the families and friends and school and things are all depicted quite realistically. They're not, there's nothing, there's no evil character really. There's no bad guy. Um, there are bad things that happen and there are less nice people. But generally speaking, his parents are supportive and his friendship with Dante is really, really nice. And yeah, it's just, it's a really good story. It's for, I reckon anybody could, could read this and get quite a lot from it. I found it really enjoyable. It did make me cry a couple of times but it also made me laugh and yeah ultimately Dante and Aristotle's friendship actually changes the course of Ari's life and I think it was just incredibly beautiful so that's Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe by Benjamin Alire Sayans. And Natalie, what are you? What's your next pick? <laughs> my my second pick and our final book for discussion today is Blue is the Warmest Colour by Julie Moreau. Um, it was published in 2010 in French as a graphic novel. I must confess I did not read it in French. Um, <laughs> I read the English translation. It was written and illustrated by Julie Moreau. She's an author and a graphic artist. Um, it's a love story. It's mm. like plain and simple, straight up and down. And my favourite kind of love story, it's first love. It's that Dante and Ari experience, Ari experience that you were talking about, Justine, where two young people are trying to figure out what is this thing between us? What is this thing? What is it? Mm. Well, let me tell you about it. Clem, <laughs> <laughs> I know because I was reading it, but the characters <laughs> don't know. You know that when that, with that young love and it just uh, Clem is 16 and she's struggling to identify her sexuality. She thinks she should be attracted to boys. She dates boys. She doesn't understand why there's absolutely zero spark. Her friends are doing it and she just can't get it. Um, her parents want her to date boys and she just just can't do it. She feels a great shame about the feelings that she does have towards girls, however, and she thinks of herself as odd and different and that the feelings that she has aren't quite valid and that there's something wrong with her, which is always a heartbreak to read about. It's always a nice triumph when, when she realises that that's actually, that's right. What you feel is right. Um, Clem meets Emma. Emma is an older lesbian in art school and has this shock of blue hair and they fall in love but Emma thinks that Clem's just dallying with her sexuality and not quite serious about her 
she creates, then that creates a bit of distance between these two young women. Um, but in this distance is where Clem realises her feelings for Emma are quite genuine and quite true and she has to come to terms with those and express them for order them for, in order for them to become real. Um, after a really ugly confrontation at Clem's parents' house who are very not understanding of what's going on, Emma and Clem move in together and then the graphic novel fast-forwards 13 years to the present to a great tragedy. Um, the book itself is beautifully illustrated and that's, you know, one of the benefits of reading a graphic novel is there's so much more to it than just the, the words, just the conversations. Um, it starts in the present, in colour, it flashes back to the past where it turns to black and white and the only colour in that black and white section which is really the bulk of the um, the bulk of the book is Emma's blue hair and you can there are these tiny little um, uh, tiny snippets of uh, crowd scenes where all you can see is this little shock of blue and then as you're looking from um, scene to scene this blue comes closer and closer Gorgeous. and closer so you can always see Emma whereas Clem is a little more obscured in some of the group kind of activities that go on take, can take a while to find her and I suppose that might be a metaphor for her finding herself <laughs> you think? maybe but Clem uh, sorry but Emma is certainly out and proud and that blue hair really just kind of signifies how um how she wears her inside on the outside. Clem's takes her a while to get there. Um, it is moving. It is heartbreaking. It is dramatic, as all first love should be. And I also found it to be quite honest. Um, it begins with the ending, so you know exactly where it's going, which doesn't stop you from crying at the start, <laughs> drying your tears throughout the middle, and then crying again at the end, even though you know what's coming for you. Um, it's a beautiful uh, picture of young love with a dash of tragedy. It's called Blue is the Warmest Colour by Julie Moreau. Probably also worth mentioning that Melbourne Library Service has a queer collection. Um, it's not always visible on the shelves, but if you search for queer collection uh, as a subject, you'll come up with over 100 books, um, fiction and non-fiction, on all range of topics, uh, gay men, lesbians, gender identity, uh, queer history, um, and they are there, and they're pretty great. <laughs> Good stuff. Excellent. So, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to know, what are you going to be reading next? I am reading a lot of YA at the moment because I'm studying and I'm tired and sometimes it's a little bit easier, just as good, but sometimes a little easier to read. I'm going to be reading The Impossible Knife of Memory by Laurie Hulse Anderson. Oh, that's a great title too. <laughs> yeah. Apparently it's about um, the experiences of a teenage girl growing up with a father with PTSD. So I'm sure it'll be very intense, but Laurie Hulse Anderson has written a lot of other really great YA, so I'm looking forward to it. Fabulous. And Natalie, what about you? On the top of my pile next is The Uncommon Reader by Alan Bennett. Oh, great stuff. It's amazing. It's something I am reading for an upcoming podcast of ours. It's so funny. Yes, it Excellent. is. Alan Bennett is just incisive, isn't he? He's yeah. really interesting. I could use a long laugh, actually, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Justine, what about you? Well, I'm really looking forward to my next read. It's actually not for any real reason, but I just love the sound of it. It's Boy Snow Bird by Helen Oyoyemi, and it's actually a take, kind of take, on the Snow White story, but from the perspective of the stepmother. So I'm really, really interested in it. I've heard great things, and um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Excellent. Well, that's our show. Uh, you can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. 
And we'd love you to tell us what you've been reading or ask us for a reading recommendation. Tweet us at melblibrary, M-E-L-B-L-A-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader, or you can join the conversation with us on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing to our podcast. Yay! And also, if you are, if you do happen to be on iTunes uh, and you, you feel like leaving us a review, we would love a review. It helps other people find the show as well. So please get on iTunes and review us if you like what you're hearing. I'd also like to mention the groovy music on our program is brought to you by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, queer reader, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.